You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 68. For today's episode, we're going to do something uh, we haven't done before and continue our discussion from the reading of the previous week. Last week, in our reading of Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through chapter 2, verse 9, we ran out of time to answer another question I wanted to ask for that episode. So to recap from last week, we ended up speaking about false prophets and heresies and what that meant to St. Peter. On today's episode, we want to deal with another aspect of that passage, so I'll begin by reading the relevant portion of the larger passage from last week. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of nether gloom to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven other persons, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction and made them an example to those who were to be ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the licentiousness of the wicked, for by what that righteous man saw and heard as he lived among them, he was vexed in his righteous soul day after day with their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So, Father, in this passage, St. Peter recalls several events, uh, the casting of the angels into hell, the flood brought upon the world of the ungodly, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it might be understandable for someone to read these passages and get a sense of who God is, that he's uh, angry, he's vengeful, ready to punish and destroy. And I've heard on occasion people say that Sometimes it seems that there is a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. And of course, this is not the case by any means, but when we contrast this with the love and mercy we see so prevalently in the Gospels, I think it's understandable that some might have difficulty reconciling these two paradigms. Would you help us understand this more clearly, Father? Yeah, I'll certainly give it a shot. It's a complex topic and one that has taken a lot of time and and learning and better understanding of the Bible for me to understand, let alone uh, to try to articulate to others. So I'll do my best here on this episode. Uh, And if we could, I'd like to break the episode perhaps into three different parts. Sure. How do you uh, recommend that we do that? I think we should focus on, on three things. First, the necessity of the old Testament and the New Testament going hand in hand, how you cannot have one without the other, or rather I should say how you cannot have the New Testament make any sense without the Old Testament, since the Old Testament obviously can exist and did exist before the New Testament, but we can unpack that more in a minute. And then second, I would want to deal with the notion that God is purely an angry God, so to speak, in the Old Testament. And then finally, the third thing would be the misconception that Jesus is purely some, you know, Mr. Nice Guy in the New Testament. That sounds like a good approach. So uh, how about uh, getting started with your first area of focus? As you said, the complementary nature of the Old and New Testaments. So the way I've started explaining it is like this, and it's just my own words and my own way of thinking about it. The New Testament is simply the final authoritative interpretation of the Old Testament and the fulfillment thereof. And by that I mean that there were 
obviously competing ways, and, and there still are competing ways, for us to understand the Old Testament. But for the Christian, there's no way to understand the Old Testament outside of how it was authoritatively interpreted by Jesus Christ, as recorded to us by the evangelists and by primarily St. Paul of Tarsus, as well as others like St. Peter and the other epistle writers. And then obviously I also say it is the fulfillment because Jesus Christ in his teaching and in his ministry completes, as it were, or fulfills what the Old Testament foresaw and prophesied. It's an interesting way uh, to approach explaining the New Testament, Father. Could you provide us with some more insight about why you explain it that way? Sure. So if you study the New Testament, there are several things you'll learn. One of those things is that the epistles were written chronologically before the Gospels. And I found it helpful then to, to understanding the Gospels to first focus on the epistles. And in those epistles, of course, you don't really have much in the way of metaphor as you have in the Gospels, because the epistles were just a different style of literature. You have a little bit more, um, shall we say, direct teaching versus teaching through narrative or through the story. And studying the epistles then helped me to better understand the Gospels. Now, especially it's important to understand Galatians and Romans, not just because Galatians is likely the first epistle or because Romans is probably what you would call the culmination or the pinnacle of Paul's gospel message, but because these books, at least to me, more systematically lay out the essence behind the teaching of the New Testament. Okay, uh, help us understand then what you mean here, Father. Well, let's just focus on Romans for now because it's a little more comprehensive than Galatians. And if you look at Romans, it can be divided into sections. And I think explaining how it does that will be instructive. And it actually very much follows the Old Testament, the Bible as a whole, meaning the Old uh, and the New Testaments together, combined together. So Romans begins with speaking about the Gentiles and their sinfulness, how they had violated the laws of nature and of human conscience. And again, it's very similar as the Old Testament begins with God dealing with all creation, including the Gentiles. And in fact, at that time, there were no Jews. But then, of course, the Old Testament moves on to God's covenant with Abraham, the circumcision, the establishment of Israel, and so forth. And likewise, Romans moves from dealing with the Gentiles to dealing with the fact that Israel, even though they had the law and the prophets, behaved no better than the Gentiles, also turning away from God. And so that's the crux of the problem, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Everyone, both the Jews and the Gentiles turn away from God. So this is the problem. And in both books, the resolution to this problem is that God will send his Messiah to restore his people, Israel. But as the prophet said, his Messiah will also restore the Gentiles, who God also created and loves. And so ultimately, the hope in the Old Testament is in God sending his Messiah. But clearly, so many of the Jews, and most especially the Jewish leadership, took pride in their identity, took pride in their careful observance of all of the rules in the Mosaic Law, and viewed themselves as better than the Gentiles. So enter Paul's next section of the book of Romans. Paul shows from the Bible, from the Old Testament, it's important to understand that, that it's from the Bible, how righteousness came before the Mosaic Law, when Abraham trusted in God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, as the Bible says. And so 
Paul argues that if righteousness came before the law, then it thus came outside of the law and not from the law itself or from following, uh, observing all of the Mosaic law. Furthermore, at that time, Abraham had not been circumcised at this time when he was accounted righteous by God. So not only does salvation come to the circumcised, to the Jews outside the law, but also it can come to the Gentiles if they put their trust in the biblical God, just as Abraham had put his trust in God and was accounted righteous on that basis. Now, I don't want to get sidetracked with what Paul does in the rest of Romans, but we'll leave it here for now. Paul argues completely from the Old Testament that the gospel message taught by Jesus and then continued by him was scriptural. That is to say that he taught it solely based on his understanding of the Old Testament. And the whole scene in Acts with the scales falling from Paul's eyes is signaling to us that once he could see clearly he saw all of this gospel message first preached, first taught, not by Jesus Christ, but by the Old Testament, which Jesus Christ then fulfilled. That's very interesting, Father. Thanks for sharing that and, and explaining what's going on. Uh, I found that to, to really be very helpful. Now, as for your second part, you mentioned about how God is not exclusively an angry God in the Old Testament. Right, that's very much the case, but sort of to the broader point as to how the Old and New Testaments go hand in hand. Notice when God becomes irate or angry in the Old Testament, he becomes angry and irate primarily when people are hypocritical, when they become self-righteous, when the powerful try to dominate the weak, and that's certainly also when Jesus becomes sharp in the New Testament. But at other times, I've learned to view God in the Bible through the prism that we use in the church, through the metaphor, as a father. And my own experience as a father has helped me see through some of this. So, for example, notice how many times God threatens in the Bible, but eventually relents. And I think of how many times I use this approach as a father. I'm not one-tenth as hard on my kids as I threaten to be when they start misbehaving. It's just, it's a warning and then you also have to understand, you know, in my opinion, that much of the Bible is not told as we would call today as literal history. It's not just my opinion. Most scholars would agree with that. Uh, we've talked some about this in the past, and, and surely um, we will again. But for now, suffice it to say that we need to keep this in mind. So let me just give one poignant example. The book most often cited for God being a violent God is Joshua and the destruction of Jericho where supposedly everyone was wiped out, right? Well, extensive excavations have been done in that part of the world, and there's no evidence that such an event ever took place, but rather there was a gradual, smooth transition that eventually led to what it became, not a violent and immediate overthrow. And this gradual transition is actually what you can see represented in the next book, the book of Judges. So the story of Joshua this story that a lot of people cite as God being extremely violent is not what we would call literal history. So what is the purpose? Well, I would say the purpose is that the story is being told to a people who had inherited the land. They were already there, and the message is clear. Yes, your ancestors and through your ancestors, now you have this land because God gave it to you. But if you disobey like the people before you did, God will throw you out. 
by any means. So we have to learn what is actually going on, historically speaking, versus what is actually going on in the Bible. And we see that where God is harsh, so harsh, is when we do not take care of the poor and the needy, when we're self-righteous, and when he's issuing a warning to the current generation. Father, we're running short on time, so this seems like a good time to transition to the final thing that you wanted to mention. How Jesus is not always, as you said, Mr. Nice Guy in the New Testament. Would you briefly explain? Yeah, so again, Jesus is extremely harsh against the self-righteous. And as we've said repeatedly on this podcast, yes, of course, Jesus is merciful. He's loving. And all that he asks in return, all that he asks, is that we then behave that same way towards others. And if we don't, it's going to be very harsh. And that's why in the Orthodox Church we talk about the fearful judgment seat of Christ. If Jesus is just Mr. Nice Guy, then why talk about a fearful judgment seat? Well, as I've said before, Jesus is merciful now, here and now. He's merciful in that he delays the judgment. But on the day of judgment, he's only going to be merciful if we multiplied that mercy. And so let me conclude with a reminder about the parable of the talents. You see how Jesus is merciful there in that parable. Remember, the talents in that parable represent mercy. So the master gives to the servants in advance the talents, the mercy. He gives it to us now. Some of us need more than others. So to one he gave five, to another two, to another one. And what happened? The ones given five and and two went out and multiplied those talents. They spread the mercy. They multiplied that mercy. But the one given one, well, he went and buried it in the ground and returned it to the master and said, here's the talent. Here's the mercy you gave me. And Jesus tells us the master will become angry that he didn't multiply the mercy. And so he'll take away that talent. He'll take away that mercy and give it to the one who spread the most mercy instead. So this is very harsh. But that's not at all saying that God is not a loving God, nor that he's not a merciful God. It's saying that God is these things. He is loving. He is merciful. But if you refuse to also go and behave in a loving and merciful way towards others, then he will be very angry and harsh with you on the day of judgment. Thank you, Father. In discussing what some might view as an apparent dichotomy between how we view God in the Old and New Testaments, Father Aaron provided three key takeaways for us to consider. First, we must understand that the Old and New Testaments go hand in hand. More specifically, we cannot properly understand the New Testament without the Old. We see this clearly illustrated by Paul's recounting of the Old Testament in the book of Romans, which demonstrates that the gospel message was first taught not by Jesus Christ, but by the Old Testament. In his second point, Father Aaron discussed that God is not exclusively an angry God in the Old Testament. If we learn to view God as a father, we can more easily understand the various times God threatens in the Bible, but in most cases, he eventually relents. God's perceived anger is better understood as a warning to his children. And his warnings are most harsh when we do not care for the poor and the outcast. And in contrast to his second point, Father Aaron concluded by explaining that Jesus is not always Mr. Nice Guy in the New Testament. It is certainly clear that Jesus is merciful and loving. And in his mercy and love for us, all that he asks is that we multiply that same mercy and love toward others. But when we face the fearful judgment seat of Christ, this judgment that Christ has so mercifully delayed now comes into focus. And as we are reminded from the parable of the talents, If we have not multiplied the mercy that we were given, God will take his mercy from us. 
Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia.